The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How you feeling out there? Good? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Maranatha. Say, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Bible said, comfort one another with these words. The Lord is coming. He's coming. Glad to have you today. And, and uh, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. We're starting a series today that I'm very excited about. I'm, I'm going to call it simply End Time Words. And you can put that up if you want to right now, End Time Words. And uh, we're, just, we're just speaking about the end time. There's three, three subjects that is not covered a whole lot anymore. One is heaven. One is hell, except in speech, and one is the coming of the Lord. And, and we live, give a lot of life principles, a lot of things that happen in life, and we, we have to get through life, I understand that. But there needs to be a tug every now and then about what's going to happen one day hereafter, amen. We're not just living this life as dogs, animals, die, buried, and that's it. We're living this life for a hereafter. Jesus didn't come and do all that he did on the cross so that we could just kind of make it through life. He wanted us to have eternal life, Amen. eternal life. And so we're going to talk about some things the next three weeks, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to believe that God's going to do great things. There is a passage of Scripture in, in the book of Matthew chapter 25 that talks about ten virgins. Now, virgins, they were all clean. They were all pure. But five of them had oil, and five did not have any oil. And so the Bible said that the voice came, Behold the bridegroom come, go ye out to meet him. And here's the point. Every one of those virgins were asleep when the bridegroom came, and the voice awakened them. And so today, if you would not mind me being that voice in your life, I would like to just declare to you the bridegroom is coming again. He really is. And it, it behooves you to have oil in your vessel and to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ezekiel, the Bible talks about a watchman on the wall, and that watchman looks and sees if trouble's approaching or good things are approaching, he's to tell the people in the city. If evil's coming and he doesn't tell the people, the blood will be on his hands. If he tells the people, then they have to defend for themselves and the blood's on their hand. And so I'm telling some good news here today. I want it to be received as good news. Paul said, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, but to all those that love his appearing. Are you excited about the fact that the Lord Jesus could come back very soon and take us out here? Would you stand all over the building? Thank you for being here. I want you to give a hand to the Ashlock family right here. Just moved from California, joined our church. What a joy to have them. Amen. It's an honor. And to you folks that are watching online today, I welcome you. I am Senior Pastor Rex Johnson, and I welcome you today into Christian Life Church, South Austin, 4700 Westgate Boulevard. And I trust that God will touch you where you are. And I hope He touches you so greatly that next Sunday we'll see you on Father's Day right here in the house of the Lord, being with us and worshiping the same God that we worship. 
Thank you for tuning in, and God bless all of you. I want to I wanna get right into the Word today, and so we're going to call it End Time Words. Matthew chapter 24 says simply this, How now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, what generation? I'm going to tell you, will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. There's three words that I want to put into your life today. The first is awake. Everybody say, it's time to awake. The second word is arise. Everybody say, it's time to get up. Not just wake up, but get up. And the third word is to aspire. I want to be a part of something happening in the world with Jesus Christ. I'm, I have an aspiration. I'm aspiring to do more for the kingdom of God. Not just as alliteration, but I want to share it with you. Awake, say awake. awake. Say arise. arise. Say aspire. aspire. I love you very much. Say, Pastor, I want to hear the word today. And you may be seated. God bless you. are awesome, awesome, awesome people. When we read Matthew 24, we realize it perhaps is the end of the dispensation of grace. I cannot challenge these pieces of information, folks, because I didn't write them and I didn't speak them. But the one that did write them was Matthew and the one that spoke them was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking headlong into the fulfillment of Scripture today in this session. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Israel years ago in 66. He said, Who has heard such a thing and who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Can you bring forth in one day? That's the question that Isaiah raised. Can a nation be born in a day? The words of Jesus in Matthew 24 gives us a measure of time, a generation as a clock to identify the amount of time that will pass from the fresh green shoots of a fig tree of prophecy until his prophecy concerning his return are fulfilled in our lives. Take a look at these events as the starting of a time clock, counting down or marking off the days of the calendar until he returns. There are many verses of Scripture starting way back in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they bring you through the Old Testament to a point that there was a promise made to Israel that at the end time she would become a nation again. The nation of Israel was dissipated in the year of 70 A.D. when Titus, the Roman general, walked through Jerusalem and burned everything, tore down the temple, crushed. They were crushed by the army of the Romans, and their temple was tore down, and the fleeing Jewish people dispersed everywhere worldwide. Now let's fast forward. In 1929, a preacher by the name of George Farrow wrote a song that has been sung based on Bible references. He wrote this 19 years before it happened on earth. It was titled, It's All in Him. The second verse goes like this, Our God for whom we've waited will be the glad refrain of Israel recreated 
when Jesus comes again. Lo, he will come and save us, our king and priest to be, for in him dwells all fullness, and Lord of all is he. It's all in him. But 19 years before Israel became a nation, it was a hopeless time for the Jewish people. They suffered open persecution all around the world. Everybody talks about the malady they went through with this monster by the name of Adolf Hitler. But until recently, few people discussed the terror that was, went on under the hand of Karl Marx and his successor, Joseph Stalin. Under the regimes of Lenin and Marx and Stalin, there were 12 million Jews killed in the land of Russia. And then Hitler came and killed another 6 million during the Holocaust. The Jewish people were fleeing those lands left and right. And at one time, our own United States of America turned away a whole shipload of Jewish people from the New York harbors. So they sailed south as far as Havana, Cuba, and got another no. Finally, came it up to Miami, they would not let them disembark there either. It was a worldwide persecution. Nobody wanted the Jewish people. They were a people without a home. And so world leaders looked for a solution. And the obvious solution, of course, was their original homeland. So a committee started by the United Nations began to study how they could make Israel go to a place where they could reside and live. One man wrote it this way about unanswered prayers. He said, all prayers have residual effect on God's purpose. Do you believe that? All prayers. He said six million Jews offered six million unanswered prayers. And all the Jewish people who were slaughtered prayed to live, prayed to escape, prayed to have life, prayed to overcome this horrible hand of the Nazi government. The six million prayers that went unanswered and allowed many people to die created what we know as a product of shame around the world that turned the heads of the free world and caused them to finally realize something had to be done to help the Jewish people. So the United Nations, a product of the influence of President Harry Truman, set about to find a solution. And stay with me now. In a committee meeting in the last week of August 1947, put that date in your mind, a small think tank was assembled. Brilliant men came together to talk about the dilemma of the Jewish people. They were called the United Nations Special Committee on Palestine, or UNSCOPE, and concluded that the only reasonable thing to do was to parcel out a piece of land in the Middle East, in Palestine, and let the Jewish people come home and set up housekeeping and live there. And they submitted that resolve to a policy council members of the UN on September 3rd, 1947. Then in November 29, 1947, the United Nations adopted Resolution 181 with a vote of 33 for, 13 against, and 10 abstained to establish in the Middle East, uh, uh, in the land along the Jordan River, a state called Israel. And then in fulfillment of that prophecy on May 14, 1948, one day, in one day, the nation of Israel under the leadership of Ben-Gurion was born in the Middle East. A nation, folks, was literally born in a day. When God gets ready to do something, He doesn't take long to do it sometimes. He can just get it done. The Bible says that when you see the fig tree put forth its branches, you know that summer is near. The fig tree in Matthew 24 is a tree of life. Of course, and it was also the nation of Israel. 
and it became a symbol of it. It's God's life. It's God's blood. It's His people. So when Israel was born in a day, it started a clock. Now you've got to stay with me. And the face of the clock said this, that the generation that sees Israel born again will not pass away until all the things that happen in the book of Matthew, the 24th chapter, have come to pass. And here we are today, ladies and gentlemen, and we're watching the world quiver over a situation after situation in the Middle East. ISIS and all kinds of attacks around the world. And we've watched God put a nation of Israel together in a day and it was fulfilled. And we in our world are on our way to a battle of Gog and Magog. That's before Armageddon. I'll preach that later. And we see it right now before our eyes. There's a man in Russia named Vladimir Putin who talks about what he is doing. Russia is putting warships together and missiles and more bombs and more guns getting everything ready because Russia wants to move down on that country called Israel. And there is an incredible desire to conquer and control Israel. And why shouldn't they? It's one of the largest reserves of oil in the history of drilling has been found in the Bible what they call the foot of Asher in the land of Israel. Moses declared in Deuteronomy 33, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Russia's coming. Gog and Magog are going to battle. And with all this going on, we have watched a nation be born in one day. How is it significant? The Bible tells us how long a generation is. Everybody say three score and ten. A score is 20 years, so 3 times 20 is 60, plus 10 is 70 years. And by reason of strength, 4 score are 80 years. But 3 score and 10 is a measurement God gave for a generation. See, there's a difference, though, folks, between an American baby being born and a Jewish baby being born. I thought I'd need to tell you this. It's kind of cute. When an American baby's born, they're 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 days old. But when a Jewish baby's born, he's a year old when he comes out of the womb. Because they count the gestation period. Let me show you how this might affect prophecy. I just said that a committee received a suggestion on September 3rd, 1947. And that was the day that Israel was a new nation and it was conceived to be a new nation. Now watch this. What's the gestation period of a baby? 280 days or nine months. That's interesting. The conception of Israel, the conception of Israel came September 3rd, 1947. So you have September, October, November. December, January, February, March, April, May. May 14, 1948, Israel is born in a day. Gestation time politically was nine months. Is it co coincidental? I speak to a broad audience. You figure that out yourself. But here's the Hebrew count. 1947 plus 70 equals 2,000. And 17. Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha. Not only that, it brings us to the month of September because 1947 was when, was when it was conceived and actually put into action. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just given you my first testimony. Clap your hands because the Lord is coming. Let me share with you my second testimony. Many people do not know what I'm about to talk about in this, in, this, in this church here today. 
because it is concerning prophecy, but many people think it's something else. I want to, you to remember in Israel, in prophecy and in the application of the practice of God, there were seven feasts. Everybody say seven feasts of Israel. That's mislabeled by religious people. When one reads the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, they are called the seven feasts of the Lord. They're not our feast. They're the Lord's feast that we participate in. The seven feasts of the Lord were a celebration of the fact that God had once brought them out of Egypt. And the Lord brought them out with what he called the Passover. And then they began to celebrate those seven feasts to show that we're not in control, but God is in control. Amen. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about the first feast, the feast of Passover. The feast of Passover was the first feast and it began the year for Israel. Passover was simply this. The people of the land were supposed to take every family, take a lamb, a, a, a spotless lamb, a pure lamb, one year old. And they were to kill that lamb. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the door and over the lintel. And at midnight that night, a death angel would pass through the camp of all the Israelites and all the Egyptians. And where the blood was not applied on the door, the death angel took the firstborn of every animal, of every child, everything that was firstborn in that house was taken away. But where the blood was applied, that house was safe. And so it's called Passover. It's called Passover. The second feast was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they ate unleavened bread, in other words, non-bacteria bread, the night they went out of Egypt. The third feast was called the Feast of First Fruits. They got out of Egypt and came to what they call the Red Sea. And they crossed over by God's hand, not theirs, and they celebrated first fruits because they had been delivered out of the sea. The fourth feast was the Feast of Pentecost. And it was 50 days after they left the land of Egypt. And God met Moses on top of a mount called Sinai. And there he gave Israel the law. Now the Feast of Pentecost became Pentecost because Pente, P-E-N-T-E, -E, means 50. Or 50 days after Passover the law was given. So they celebrate that every year. And these four are called the Spring Feast. And they came in the springtime of every year. Then the Fall Feast came. The scripture speaks of a former rain. And that rain took care of the crops and helped the crops to grow in the spring. And then it speaks of the latter rain. And it was the rain that fell in the latter part of the year. But the Bible said there's coming a day when the former and the latter rain shall be poured out together. And God's going to do a great work in this earth. Somebody say, Maranatha, the Lord comes. Somebody say, you need to wake up. You need to get up. And you need to get involved because Jesus Christ is coming for a church. Amen. So, here are the fall feasts. Here are the fall feasts. The fifth feast was the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets began when the first light of the crescent of the new moon could be seen. Now it's called Rosh Hashanah. And all the Jewish months start with the crescent of a new moon. All the Jewish months. Here's a picture, a picture of a crescent moon. There it is right there. It begins, it develops into a full moon. That's a crescent. And the seventh crescent moon, which determined the seventh month, showed up on the horizon. They blew a trumpet to celebrate the start of that month. You've got to understand this. Their first month was usually the month of April. And because they started with Passover. And the seventh month, most, most notably, but starts, uh, happens in October. 
and, and it did last year, but this year it's at the end of September because it stays in cadence with the other feasts. They blew a trumpet to celebrate the appearance of a new moon. And that celebration ran all that day and two more full days. I don't want to go too fast. I have a lot of field to cover. And when it came to the end of that last day, the priest blew what was called the last trumpet to signify that the Feast of Trumpets was over. It was a three-day event. And then the sixth feast came. That was ten days later. It was called the Feast of Yom Kippur. It was the Day of Atonement. We'll talk about that later. And the seventh feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. It lasted eight days. And it was a time of remembering. They actually built themselves uh, houses on top of their houses. And they lived in tents and tabernacles. And they did that for eight days and praise filled the street. Here's the point. They were called the Feast of the Lord. And since they were the Feast of the Lord, Jesus said, I come not to transgress against the law, but that the law through me might be fulfilled. Can I say something? Jesus enjoys his feast days. We as a church need to enjoy his feast days. The only three that are a must is Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Celebration or the Feast of Tabernacles. The rest of them are optional. And the rest of them you don't have to go to, but I sure want to make all of them if I can. Because I want to remember him in my communion. I want to celebrate him in in, in my first fruits. I want to honor him at the Feast of Trumpet. And I want to go out with him one day when he comes back to get the church. Amen? That's what this is all about. Now, you got to understand this about Jesus. What we now call the Easter season coincides with what the Hebrews considered the Passover. And there's a reason for it. Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. And he kept the feast of Passover because the feast of Passover, Israel looked for a lamb without spot or blemish. And at the feast of Passover, when Jesus Christ was crucified, he was that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, I have in my my study a book called the Archco Volumes that talks about Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. And after Jesus rose from the dead, this is a beautiful story, he broke through a locked wall in Caiaphas' office, walked into his inner office, and Caiaphas was there writing his resignation letter because he realized that he had crucified an innocent man. And Jesus appears in that room. Caiaphas wrote this in his autobiography. And Caiaphas said, when I saw him, I fell as a dead man. And he said, rise up, Caiaphas. I didn't come to take you out. I come to give you a new day. And he said, Caiaphas, you're a good man. You've got a good heart. You just have evil intent, and I've got to take that evil intent out. But he said, I want you to know you have crucified the last lamb. You have slain the last lamb. There will be no more need for your job because I am the final lamb. Aren't you glad that Jesus brought an end to all the bloodshed of the lambs? He became that final lamb then he was buried on the feast of unleavened bread being buried on the feast of unleavened bread he said of the unleavened bread this is my body see leavened bread has bacteria in it that causes it to rise but unleavened bread has no bacteria and he said I am in this world and the devil has nothing in me I am pure as the day that I was born And I am unleavened bread and I will be buried. And then in the third feast, he arose on the feast of first fruits. 
See how it fits? These are not our celebrations. They're his celebrations. He's celebrating himself. He arose at first fruits. And folks, when he got up out of the grave, do you realize that graves were open and old saints of the ages stood up and walked through the streets? My Lord, that's preaching material right there. And walked through the streets of the city and declared, this is he that has come to save us. Amen. One of these days, folks, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, there's going to be some more cemeteries that's going to open because when people are buried today, they're buried facing the east because he's coming out of the east and he's going to come and blow a horn and we're going to get up and rise up and we would are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet him in the air. It's going to happen. Say, Maranatha, the Lord comes. Amen. Amen. So he was crucified at Passover. He rose. I mean, he was buried in unleavened bread. He rose at the first fruits, and then he started the church at the Feast of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Ghost came on 120 people, and they were all filled with the Spirit of God and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And they spoke languages from 17 nationalities. And those people said, who are these people? They're just ignorant Galileans, but they speak in our language. I'm telling you, when God moves on a church, it speaks in the language that the world can understand. You got me? And then the next feast in order was the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets starts with the trumpet and ends with the trumpet. But Paul, Paul wrote over half the New Testament, wanted to make it very clear that he knew the Lord was going to celebrate the rapture of the church on the Feast of Trumpets, just like he had celebrated all the other four feasts before. So Paul said this, at the last trump, meaning the Feast of Trumpets, there's got to be a last trumpet that blows one day. And at the Feast of Trumpet, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, I'm going to read it backwards, 17, first and 16. The Bible said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air. And so shall we be with the Lord. At the last trump. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Somewhere there's going to be a trump sound. I'm going to say it again. Someday a trumpet's going to sound and it's going to wake up the dead. And when the feast of trumpet ended on a Sabbath day, you got to get this, the priest didn't blow the trumpet. Because they didn't want to violate the Sabbath. I'd like to declare that this year, September 23rd, the Feast of Trumpet ends on a Sabbath. On a Saturday. Enough said, you're smart people. But the Lord is going to blow a trumpet. The time for him to blow that last trumpet of importance would be when the priests are not going to blow the final trumpet because it was a Sabbath. Testimony number two. Now, this is part I like. I want to have fun here. Don't leave me now. This is fun. For a short time, let's talk about the first day of the week. You want to talk about Sunday? How many of y'all love Sunday? How many of you love Sunday? Come on. You show by showing up. And I don't even care if you're an SMO or Sunday morning only. I, it, it don't bother me today. I just want you to know that God loves Sundays. Have you ever realized that the first day of creation was a Sunday? Yeah. 
<laughs> he started this whole thing on a Sunday. Lord, I'm talking in tenor right now. It started on a Sunday. The baptism of Jesus makes baptism for everyone important. If you have not been baptized, you need to be water baptized. Even if a lot of people say it's not important. By the way, he had no sin. You got a bunch of it. But it was important enough that Jesus started his ministry with it and he ended his ministry by commanding it. And I emphasize, he commanded water baptism. But I can prove to you in Scripture that Jesus was baptized on a Sunday. Now, you, now you're messing with me, preacher. No, I'm not. He was baptized. Stay with me now. How long did he stay in the wilderness? Forty days. And the next day he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom, on the 41st day. So 42 would be another what? Sunday. He was baptized on a Sunday. Jesus loves Sunday. He loves Sundays. I can show you in Scripture that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a Sunday. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And we know that he led him out as far, in Beth, as, far as Beth and he ascended on high on a Sunday. And we know he started the church on the day of Pentecost that always falls on Sunday. And he even gave John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos and gave him a revelation of Jesus Christ on a Sunday. Can I tell you? I propose to you if I was in a court of law, the evidence shows that Jesus favors Sundays. Can I just stop and say I think I know why? Because it's not his will that any should perish but all come to repentance. And he knows that people still honor him enough to show up on Sunday. And he's going to give people that are out there the last chance before he comes and gets us. Because he wants you to be saved worse than anything in this world. He wants you to be with him forever. Come on, clap your hands to that. Rejoice to that. Jesus loves Sundays. In fact, that's why we get together and worship on Sunday. Because it's fulfilling the prophecy from the book of Ezekiel said, and the seventh day shall become the eighth. And so we worship on Sunday on the eighth day or on a Sunday. Because we celebrate our resurrected Lord like he celebrated so many times. Well, since he has such a favor with the first day of the week, wouldn't it make sense? Seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Wouldn't it make sense that he wouldn't come on some Tuesday? <laughs> or God forbid Friday. <laughs> or even worse, Monday. <laughs> wouldn't it make sense that because he loves Sundays, he just might show up one day on a Sunday. 1973, I was preaching in Montgomery, Louisiana as a young man. They had an early morning prayer meeting. We was holding revival, my, my, my first wife and I. And I went back to our little evangelistic quarters, and I laid down just to take a little rest. It was about 8 o'clock. The prayer was at 6.30, and I came back to rest about 8, and church started at 10. And I laid down, and I didn't go to sleep, but I, I went into a little trance, and I had a vision, the only vision I've ever had in my life had a vision of me preaching the gospel and the Lord coming while I was preaching. And the heavens opened and the roof opened and the roof and the church opened 
And we just all started floating up. It wasn't quick. It was just like, wow, this is like Six Flags or something, you know. <laughs> and I felt myself going up. And I was in the air, and I was still preaching to them. And we was looking down, and there was a church, and there was a little town in Montgomery, Louisiana. And I was still preaching the gospel, and then I had to wake up. I was laying in a bed and tears were filling my eyes because I thought, man, I had just witnessed the rapture of the church on a Sunday morning. So, here's what I want to tell you in closing today. The Lord has a habit of doing things over and over and over and over and over. Is that all I had? That's why he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to get into some stuff two weeks from now about the stars and the moon and the sun. We're going to talk about some things out there. We're going to talk about astronomy, not astrology. I'm not going to read your horoscope. We're going to talk about astronomy because Jesus is the bright morning star. He was called the day star. And the sun did stand still one day at a man's command. And the moon stopped over the valley of Agilon. And it does kind of happen that the stars in their courses fought against Sisera in the Old Testament book called Judges because they have something to tell us in this last day. But let me finish. For instance, just for instance, what did the Lord create the first day? He created light. Everybody say light. And on the second day of creation, he divided air from water. And on the third day of creation, he brought the land up out of the water and made land and dry land appeared. That's the first three creative days. Everybody say light, light. air and water, water. and land. land. Now watch the fourth creative day. Watch this. Watch this repetitive God. Watch him. Watch him. On the fourth day, he made the sun, moon, and stars. Light. First day, fourth day. On the fifth day, it's got to match the second day. He made birds of the air and fish of the sea, air and water. And on the sixth day of creation, he made the mammals and he made man because he elevated land so they could walk on it. He is a God that repeats himself again and again and again and again. He's not going to pull any surprises on us, folks. We just got to be awake. We got to arise. We have to aspire. Anybody in the house want to go to heaven? I close, Brother Randy, if you'll help me, I'd appreciate it so much. I close. When a young woman became espoused to a, a suitor in the Jewish custom, there was what was called the friend of the bridegroom. You'll find that story in John chapter 3, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled.
Now you got to listen. This is how I'm going to end today. When that young man asked that young lady to marry him, there was a contract presented. And he signed his name. She signed her name. And then the bridegroom's friend, the friend of the bridegroom, was stationed to take care and watch over that bride until the bridegroom could come back and get her because he went to prepare a place. Went to fix up the house. Went to get it all ready. And then he would start his way back. But in that going away, she had to stay in a position of waiting. And when she would look out the window and say, is there any way I can go to town and run with my girlfriends tonight? Maybe flirt with some more boys? The friend of the bridegroom just hold up the contract. Not tonight, baby. Not tonight. Well, it's been six months. Girls got to get out. We got a party. We got to have fun. Are you following me? And then, one day, the voice of the bridegroom is heard by the friend of the bridegroom. He says, tell her I'm coming. I'm going to take her to that place that I've prepared. Friend of the bridegroom says, Behold, the bridegroom comes. You can come out of the house now. Sunday mornings don't matter anymore, and Wednesday nights are just nothing but a blank building now because you're going home with the bridegroom. But somebody Lift up your voice and say, I want to go home with you one day, Jesus. Come on. I want to go home with you one day, Jesus. I want to go with you. He didn't come to just give us life. He came to give us life and that more abundantly. He came to give us eternal life. It's an honor. It's an honor to celebrate the feast days of the Lord. And one day, a trumpet's going to sound. And we that are alive and remain after the dead Christ are going to rise to meet him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Stand all over the building and clap your hands real big. And rejoice because you're staying in the house. You're coming to his house. You're keeping your side of the contract.